Um, if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to look for just a few minutes at a, a, an amazing account. Um, and it piggybacks, I mean, this story's tied into what we talked about last week. And I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 17, 17 to 24. If you'd follow along, and there are Bibles in the pews around you. If you want to grab one of those and follow along, that would be really helpful, I think, for you. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Verse 18, so she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And he called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, has thou also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and brought him down from the upper room to the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Father, teach us. Open our hearts wide as individuals to you, corporately to you, that we not only hear you, but we respond to you. In Christ's name, amen. I was reminded as I read this of um, a time that I went with my dad to a, a, a checkup. Uh, he was having problems with his heart, and, uh, and he had what's called a stress test. Many of you had that. My son, Benjamin's had, I don't know how many. And, uh, and they hook you up to this machine, if you don't know, and you start just taking a nice walk, no big deal. Um, and, and then all of a sudden they do something that's kind of cruel. They start to incline this thing. And all of a sudden it's becoming a little more difficult. And as I watched my dad especially, Ben nailed it, he had no problem with it. But my dad really began to struggle. And the sweat was pouring out, they're turning fans on, and they're inclining this thing. And man, it's getting hard. And, uh, and it's starting to hurt. I remember dad a couple of times saying, would you just turn this thing off? You know, he was begging him to turn the thing off. Um, but problems began as this incline started to become more and more. And after six inches, he had a real problem going on. He was really working. You see, they want the heart to struggle as much as it can so they can get the clearest measure of its performance, of how it's really doing. And no doctor gives a stress test to hurt you. I mean, doctors give you a stress test to help you to see how your body's going to respond under stress. Did you know God gives stress tests? I mean, did you know God sometimes turns the incline up a little bit? And it gets a little harder and harder? Because the only way really to know if we're progressing in our faith is the presence of stress tests. And so God cranks up the incline in our life, and it becomes difficult. And those stress tests... We call them trials. They're pressures. And they come to know how we're measuring up spiritually if we're really growing. 
In verse 17, as we read that, you could almost put in the side of your Bible, time for a stress test. There's three participants in this account. Really, fourth. The fourth is the most important one. But you got Elijah, you got this widow, and, and you got this widow's son. So the kind of the spotlight are on these three. And we read some pretty amazing things happen. Now we see in verse 17 where we read, after these things. Well, you read after these things, automatically you need to think what was before this because it ties together. And if you remember the account that God sent Elijah to this widow and said, listen, ask this widow for something she's going to provide and I'm going to miraculously provide for this widow and the son because they're near starvation. So God has already miraculously saved this widow and her son. That just happened. Probably months before. We're not sure exactly the time for it. But God stepped in. The prognosis changed. In a previous story, he had a son down to his last meal. And right here, we have a son down to his last breath. So there's a distinct connection between the, between the two accounts. We see Elijah. He's safe. He's fed. Probably slowly beginning to relax a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's jolted. By the stress test, he's not comfortable. He was comfortable in Zarephath, maybe a little bit, a little. Um, and all of a sudden, this grievous event comes his way. The only family this widow had, her son, is now dying. Matter of fact, the Bible's clear. He didn't just fall asleep; he was dying to the point that all of a sudden he died. I mean, he was gone. Um, and there's a, just a lot of really interesting dynamics in play here. We're not going to talk about a chance to talk about all of them. But the first thing I thought of was, as a parent, can, can you know a greater pain than losing a child? Some of you in here may have. I mean, th this is a story on paper, and it's pretty tempting sometimes to say, well, it's just a story. But put yourself in the story if you're a mom here. It gets deeply personal when you look next to your children and say, what would that be like? to lose a child, and you begin to get some of the emotion in it. How would you like to be a servant of God who was used of God to help miraculously save this widow and her son? You were part of that. All of a sudden, same widow, same son, you're the same guy, he's dead. Might be a few questions going through your mind. What is God doing here? Well, questions Elijah had. James once again says, Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, he would have thought the same things we would have. There would have been certain dynamics in place that we would have thought, felt. And so as we read through Elijah, it's tempting to think super prophet, but he was a man just like us. And so we see some of that play out here. I thought as I read this, how could God let this happen? He had just saved them. I just thought that was interesting. And so let me lay this out up front. When God brings you out of one test into another test, you and I would be wise to ask, is there anything in test two that looks like what was in test one? You'd be very wise to ask that for two reasons. One, maybe you didn't learn in test one. If you've ever been in school and you bombed a test, the teacher was gracious enough to say, I'll let you take it again. Because 
you flunked the first time. Test two let you know you didn't do so good on test one. The other reason test two comes in is because God wants us to know, did we learn anything? What did we learn? What lesson could we learn? Maybe we did learn it. What lesson can we take into the next, next test? The next time the incline of the stepper is cranked up. God wants you to know if you're learning from the stress tests. And as I read verse 18, this prophet can't win. This widow comes. She says to Elijah, same widow again, just been rescued from starvation. What do I have to do with you, O man of God? Look at the two things she says to him. You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance. That is a loaded statement. And to put my son to death. I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, she's accusing him of saying, what just happened to my son is because of my past sin. And you're coming here, and you coming here is thrown it in my face. We don't know what that past sin is, but obviously she carries the guilt of it enough to think it's associated with the death of her son. I mean, we, how do you miss that? And so if you struggle with guilt, you can relate to this. Pretty easy to carry it through life, isn't it? Like a suitcase. It's just hanging on you. And situations come, and that guilt just dogs you. That seems to be what's going on. We don't know what the sin is. We don't need to know what it is. We know what sin is. We know what guilt is. But the other thing is she accuses Elijah of being part of her son dying. Again, same prophet who was just part of saving them from starvation. Same prophet. Now, all of a sudden, this woman's theology is warped. I mean, her theology is messed up. If it wasn't for you, man of God, I wouldn't be in this mess. It's really what she's saying. I want nothing to do with you or your God. You've messed my life up. What's this all about? That's what she's asking him. And when you face a stress test, don't forget your theology. Don't forget the truths of God you've learned. She forgot what had just happened, what she just witnessed. Don't you make that mistake when tests come. There's times when tests come, you need to remember who God is when you don't want to remember who God is. You need to remember that what's come your way is not an accident. God's allowed it. Don't forget your theology. He is sovereign. He is loving. He is just. Don't forget your theology. Don't forget the truths of God. She's thinking God's paying me back for something I did in my past. My iniquity's been brought, brought back because you, Elijah, are here, and I'm experiencing this, tra this tragedy. She's tragedy. Her unhealthy thinking is providing some serious problems. It reveals an unhealthy guilt. Again, she equates the death of her son with the presence of Elijah and her sin. But we should ask, does God judge sin? Of course he does. Does God discipline his children? Absolutely. But what God doesn't do is forgive your sin, save your life, and then bring it back up in your face. That's poor theology. God doesn't do that. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to connect again. If you've come to Christ as Savior, 
He has thrown your sin into the depths of the sea, and he's put a no fishing sign on the bank. Don't go fishing and bringing up your own sin, because you're the only one doing it. It's not how God's grace works. God doesn't hold a grudge. Instead, he showers the repentant with grace. What is good theology? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good theology. Don't forget your theology when the stress test comes. God hasn't forgotten you. God's not being mean. And if you've done something in your past and you've repented, thank him for his mercy and it's time to move on. Bad theology creates a whole world of problems and we see it here. This woman asks, how could this happen? But she needs to understand God has a purpose in test two to learn and reveal the learning from test one. And again, in both accounts, this woman, Elijah, and her son are all affected. And circumstances can cause us to question our theology. And don't forget, please don't forget the truths of God in your tests. I wonder if you sit here, if you forgot how good God's been to you. How God has worked in your past, in circumstances, over and over. Have you forgotten that? How do you know if you've forgotten or not? Well, the stress test will tell you. They'll expose whether you've remembered or not. You may wonder, how will I get through this? Look back, how has he empowered you already? Remember those other things you never thought you'd get through? Those other things you thought, oh my gosh, we're down to the last penny. How are we going to financially get through it? And lo and behold, you look back and say, he was faithful. Just like we sang, and all his promises are yes and amen. That's a good song to keep in your head. Don't forget that. Don't forget who God is. I don't feel loved right now. God loves you. All those times he's carried you, don't forget it. And so we see an amazing thing taking place, and then we see a lesson on faith and prayer. This is a pretty interesting thing for a couple reasons. I can't help but think that in verse 19, and he said to her, give me your son. I can't help but think that's tender. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. Looking at her her tear-streaked face, I can't help Elijah sees his eyes frantic with grief. He saw beyond her anger, and notice he doesn't answer her her accusations. She accuses him, but he doesn't enter into defending himself or nothing. He's compassionate. He doesn't defend himself. He stood with her. He kind of bears the weight of her pain in a gentle silence. A silence that is really only broken by those simple words where he says, give me your son. Just give him to me. Give me your pain. Give me, in a sense, your confusion. Just give him here. And as the widow cradles her boy in her arms, I picture Elijah now cradling her in his heart and reaching out and saying, give me him. I just think this is such a profound moment. If you, the more we try to enter into it and picture it, he's deeply moved. And he says in verse 20 and 21, Lord, my God, he asks the same question she's thinking, which means he's kind of taken a little bit on her confusion because he doesn't know what God's up to. Lord, my God, have you brought calamity to the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? Remember, this question, I think, comes from the account before this. 
You just saved her. What on earth is going on here? I, I don't reconcile, God, what you're doing. And so he asks a question. It's an honest prayer. It's an authentic prayer. It's a good way to pray. It's okay to wrestle with God. We talked about that a couple months ago. And he prays. He said, then he stretched himself upon the child three times, called to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. Once, twice, three times, Elijah stretched himself upon the boy, body to body, arm to arm, leg to leg. It's almost as if Elijah thought there could be a transfusion of life could occur under this canopy of connection, of contact. But I think what Elijah, in this case, was stretched out in more than his body. I think his faith strained for a miracle. Here's the amazing part. As much as I can remember, as much as I found, up to this point, no one has ever asked for this type of miracle. Up to this point in the Bible, we've never seen anyone raised from the dead. Elijah is asking for something that's never happened, that we know of. Think about that. What would make him think? His experience probably has never had this. What would make him think he could ask for something like that? I mean, Lord, could you comfort this widow, help her understand a little bit, help us all understand a little bit more what's going on? I get that prayer. God, keep her strong. Give her eyes to see. I can think of, how would I pray? But he doesn't pray that. He, he prays something, well, really big, <laughs> like the biggest prayer he could think of. He prays for a miracle. He prays for an enormous prayer, a new prayer, an unprecedented prayer. Lord, raise this boy and give him breath. Give him breath. I wonder, as he carry the boy up if he knew going up the stairs, God, this is, let, let's do this. I don't know what he thought. It would have been a very interesting, in glory, we can ask him, what would you think when you walked up them stairs? You know, I'm, I'm intrigued by that thought. Um, but he comes, and he prays, and he prays honestly and authentically. He says, God, I'm confused. But even in the midst of this, my confusion, and I don't understand why this second test has come. I, don't, I can't reconcile how you can be a deliverer in one test and not long after allow this. I don't get it. However, I know you're able. And so I'm going to ask for a miracle. I have some questions while I read this. Maybe you, in your mind, surface. Why would he flatten himself against this child? I don't know. But I got some guesses. One is... This, without mistake, is some intense prayer. This isn't good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. This is, this is bringing it. This is intense prayer. I see in Elijah's actions, one so committed to the son, so to, committed to this situation, that he presents himself as a means. He's putting his life on the line for an answer. Lord, you need breath? Here's my breath. This boy needs life? Here's my life. Lord, I'm laying it out, and I'm going to lay on him and contact him. And Lord, whatever he needs, take from me. That's prayer. I place my life on the line for this one. And he's engaged, he's authentic to the core. Man, if you and I want God to show up in our prayers, we better show up with focused and serious prayer. 
That's what Kevin and Jenna are asking for. That's what the Sunblads need. That's what your neighbor needs. You and I to spread ourselves, in a sense, over their tests. We need to spread ourselves over our tests and say, God, you're able. I don't understand it. I'm confused by it, but you are able. And I'm going to get serious about asking you about this. I'm going to pound heaven's doors over this. And so he prays not once. He doesn't lay on them twice. He lays on them three times. He stretches himself out over this test. Instead of stressing, maybe we'd be wise to bathe our tests in prayer. So we don't have room to stress. We don't have room to waste them because we're too busy praying over them. You and I would be wise to sit down and write down these lessons that we've learned from past tests so we can take them to prayer for the next tests. So we can bring to our prayers good theology. We can camp and bank ourselves and stand and anchor ourselves on the truths of God to wholeheartedly seek him. Oh, who can't think of verse 22 and 24 what, what, what this must have been like? The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. The life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room. Much different scenario than he walked up, right? <laughs> this is a really different scenario. And uh, maybe at first he couldn't wait to get away from the widow after those accusations. Now he can't wait to get back down to her and says, I got a son and here's this face radiant, eyes alive. And she brings the son back to the widow. What a moment. I mean, what an amazing moment. Moms, can you imagine this? Can you imagine what that must have been like? She is an interesting, in verse 24, she makes an interesting confession. Now I know. You are a man of God. The word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Tells us there was a part of her who did not know that. There was a part of her that wondered. Maybe that confusion led to serious doubt. We were, there's a part of her that did not know this because she says, now, now I know. Simon DeVries made this statement. He said, the woman has called Elijah man of God out of reverence and respect. But now she knows him to be a man of God whose word from God is truth. That's a pretty amazing thing. What are lessons we learn? We must learn from Scripture. We, we have to learn from these tests, not only ours, but from the ones that God has allowed us to read about in Scripture. These steps, I think, are going to help, potentially in preventing you from having to go through help prepare us for whatever tests will come. So sometimes prevention, always preparation. One, engage in authentic prayer. Make it focused. Make it honest. Get serious in your prayer life. Try to move away, not try, move away from mundane repetitions. Prayer matters because God answers. And God moves in response to our prayers. Engage in authentic, focused prayer. That's a lesson we can certainly grab out of here. Ask big prayers. Ask prayers beyond human capability. Don't be afraid. And, and don't let those who have a lesser faith prevent you from asking the big things. Even in maybe a lot of people around you at the workplace, different things, 
who might ridicule you, don't be afraid to pray the big thing. I mean, the thing that's never been prayed for, maybe. God save Macedonia. Not just one or two. Sweep through the country. That's a big, those are the kind of prayers God says, okay, now we're talking. Don't be afraid of that. Engage in serious, authentic prayer. And please make note of the lessons learned. The lessons you learn in test one, you will need for test two, three, four, and five. Write them down. If God saw fit enough to teach them to you, maybe you should write them down. Maybe you should remember them, journalize them, put them somewhere where you can look back and say, that's right, that's right. God, you taught that to me. I can camp on that. You didn't teach it to me for no reason. And number three, be assured God has a purpose for your test. There is a reason. You don't need to wonder. You don't need to wonder if God has a purpose. He does. You might not understand it, like the widow and Elijah there, for it might seem confusing. Don't let your confusion create doubt. Stand in the truth. God has a purpose. He does not waste anything. And that includes your test. God doesn't waste anything. Be assured he has a purpose. So you would say like the widow, now I know. I know you're not just a tomorrow God. I know, God, you're not just a yesterday God. She says, now I know that you're a today God. And when these tests come, I think God wants to bring us to the same point. As we walk through the test, that with a deep conviction, we would say, God, I know you're not just a God of yesterday. I know you're not a God of just tomorrow. But I know you're a God of today. I know you're able. You're my now God. And I praise your name. Let's pray. Lord, you are gracious. You are good. You are great. And Lord, I thank you for this account. This true account of how you stepped in into a trial that seemed so confusing. And I'm sure raised an enormous amount of questions in the mind of this widow and Elijah. And God, you showed yourself faithful, strong, a God who performs the miraculous. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would step into their tests, even this very moment, in their mind. Lord God, incarnate truth. God, that they would stand in faith and know that you are not only able, but you will not waste this. You will use it. Lord, walk through each person here and the tests they're facing. And God, so the end result of every test, every scenario, every situation here is the proclamation that you are our now God and you are able when we glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.